With the trade deadline quickly approaching, we had to have somebody back on the show. We had a great chat the last time he was around. This is Mr. Yosef Zita. How's it going today? Good, how are you? Ah, uh, you know what? Sunny and clear here in Nova Scotia. Can't complain right now. That's perfect. Ah, uh, yeah, I hear about you guys, and uh doesn't sound too promising right now around that, those parts. No, not really. Um, Doug Ford, our premier, just announced another stay-at-home order that's starting tomorrow, so, you know, another stay-at-home order for us. I think it's like the fifth time now. He's just, he's on and off right now. He's, he's making no sense. He has to make up his mind here. Well, I think the good thing that we did out here out east was when uh, it was the now-gone Premier McNeil, he put his foot down and said, this is what we're going to do, and we stayed that way for a long period of time. And I don't know if it's just because of that, but it seems that everybody around here kind of got the message that if you want any kind of inkling of normal life, you better follow the rules, or as he said, he will not hesitate to shut things down. He doesn't care about the economy. He cares about people's health and the way that people are able to live. So he'd rather shut everything down and keep everything locked down and keep everyone healthy than, you know, have everything open and then people passing away en masse. Because mm-hmm. um, over here, for the last year, he's been opening and closing things constantly, and it's just driving people insane, and people are just fed up with it right now. And with the order starting tomorrow, um, you know, people aren't happy, but at the same time, like, it's the right decision, but just it's how he's doing it, how it's on and off, on and off, on and off. You have to be committal, and you, you have to be, you know, full mark of what you're doing. But, I mean, hopefully this time it is. I mean, like you said, it's been so wishy-washy that probably not. But I do hope that you guys can turn the corner and things get back down to, a, you know, a safe level. And hopefully everybody gets the shot in the arm and we can get past this by, by the end of the year. But who knows? So we'll be with this for a while anyways. Yeah, I think so too. But something we won't be with for a while is the uh, the NHL trade deadline. Uh, that is coming up on Monday. Um, all kinds of names linked to the Toronto Maple Leafs. I want to ask you right out of the gate, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, and for you, what is the one thing you think they need to address the most um, throughout this squad? Is it goaltending, defense, is it up front? What is it for you? I don't know if I have um, a number one need for this team. I feel like you can't go wrong with multiple needs because we know that they've been linked to multiple forwards, and Dubas has made it clear that they want a top six forward, but with Galchenyuk's recent play, Dubas has said that um, the need for a top six forward is no longer, you know, as important. Like he has to like to add a, a forward, but with his uh, his play as of late, they don't need they're not uh, in desperate need of a forward. I look at the defense, and the defense has been, you know, the best in the division. They're I think top five in in goals against per game in the whole entire league. So obviously the defense has taken a big step forward in recent years, but. If a guy like Jake Muzzin or TJ Brody gets injured, who do you have next? Yeah, I don't think I don't think fans want Martin Renson to come in again. No, they do have they do have Rasmus Sandin, but um, you know if Muzzin or Brody goes down and Sandin steps up, Sandin doesn't play the penalty kill; he plays the power play. So I feel like if you get a depth defenseman like a Jamie Alexiak, who makes uh, just over two mil from Dallas, he play, he's six foot seven, I believe in the penalty kill, that will be a good addition for the depth uh, for the depth defenseman and if someone goes down, you can step right in. Uh, and then I look at goaltending as well, and obviously everyone knows the situation around Frederick Anderson and how he hasn't skated yet, and 
I got a notification today that uh, in Leafs practice, he's still not on the ice, so no one knows what his timetable is. But um, you can never go wrong with adding goalie insurance, and that's what they did with Vinny um, Vivalai when they traded Michael Lettman to Columbus. But um, if the Leafs want to go far in the playoffs, and let's say Anderson isn't available, I don't know if a Campbell-Hutchinson duo will <laughs> get them that far. I mean, you never know because Campbell's been playing out of his mind, and Hutchinson's actually been pretty good this season compared to last season but I, you can never go wrong with added goalie insurance like with, with a guy like Bernier from, uh, from Detroit or even Allmark from Buffalo yes yeah I look at the back end and I've, I've said this what you just said for a very long time because everybody is all excited about the shiny toys up front you know and all the guys you can add to your top six or even what Tampa did with their bottom six you know adding a Coleman and a Barclay Goodrow and you know people wondering oh would Scott Lawton fit that role and I look at the back end, and I always say this mentality. Being a Patriots fan, I'm very, very familiar with the term "next man up," you know, and you know who fills that void. And if you look at the next man up, you're right. It's Martin Marinson, or it is Rasmus Sandin, or Timothy Lilligren, and the latter two aren't really NHL tested for everyday situations. They've been up, they've done their little stints. But they're not guys that have got the playoff experience. They don't have the pedigree in the NHL to go through the grind. And we all know the playoffs is the ultimate grind. You know, so you throw those two young guys into that situation. I don't think it goes well. And I don't care what anyone says. Everybody can say Martin Marinson swings a big stick. He's good in the penalty kill. He disrupts zone entries. Great. Absolutely great. But what he did last year allowing Liam Foodie to walk him as he did absolutely nothing in the corner against Columbus and just stood there like a deer in headlights and got absolutely walked, and then Freddie let that in short side, that will forever be burned in my mind as my memory of what Martin Marinson is. Because all he had to do was disrupt that play, and that goal doesn't happen. But he didn't. And that is forever burned in my mind. So I I look at who's next up, and I'd say, please... Please don't let it be Martin Marinson. And that's not a knock against the person. That's just a knock against what he can bring to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I look at this lineup, though, and I say, even if everybody's healthy, would you like an improvement on Dermott, even though he's taken steps this season? You know, would you like to improve maybe a John Merrill there, you know, playing with Bogosian out of Detroit? There's lots of different names. I heard Josh Manson mentioned a couple times out of Anaheim where they're ready to kind of tear it down. You know, do you go for a big swing like that? Or do you grab a Brandon Montour out of uh, out of Buffalo, or do you steer, steer shy? I mean, Eric Stahl looks like a refreshed guy, doesn't he, playing with the Montreal Canadiens for that game? So it, yeah. it all depends. But that is the one area, and I agree with goaltending, but, I mean, the Leafs are so non-committal of what they want to do with Frederick Anderson. You know, you'd think that it, him being off the ice for this long, he would have been on LTIR or something. So there has to be... A reasoning behind it. I don't know if it's because you want him around the team. I don't know, um, you know, what the situation is there. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, well, what if they include him in a deal to shed his salary to add more? Um, and there's been a lot of talk about, well, that would upset guys like Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. You know, he's really tight with those guys, William Nylander. So you, you don't want to disrupt that dressing room too much by, you know, kind of exiling a guy and, you know, pissing off your top player basically you want you want a happy austin matthews um but i mean at the end of the day it's business but you look at the names you, you say bernier and allmark i mean allmark's been amazing on a team like buffalo but again what does he bring playoff wise 
for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and would you feel comfortable with Allmark and and um, Campbell between the pipes on a, a long playoff run if Freddie isn't available? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question too. And going back to the the Anderson thing, with him not being on the ice, and we really haven't gotten any news surrounding him other than he's had a couple checkups with the doctor. Uh, he hasn't been skating. It's really like it's no one knows what's going on, and it's been I think what two two weeks at least without him skating. Yep. So it's it's very uh, concerning, I would say, because. Yes, he hasn't had the best of seasons, and everyone knows that, but um, he was playing half the season, you know, not feeling 100%, and that might be a factor of his play. But still, at the end of the day, he is Toronto's number one starter, but if he comes back and Campbell's continuing his play of how he's playing right now, then I, I am confident of a Campbell-Anderson tandem in the playoffs. Oh, for sure. And obviously, you, you ride the hot goalie. If, if Anderson is the number one goalie and you're sitting Campbell – after his start like this, then I don't know what to say, but I am comfortable with Ryan the Hawk goalie. If Anderson wins two games in the playoffs, let Anderson play game three. If he loses, switch to Campbell. Just play the better goalie um, after all the games that they win. So let's go and do a little bit of uh, Galaxy Brain in here. If Freddie Anderson, you know, for whatever reason, needs time, um, is it not smarter heading towards the trade deadline to put him on LTIR and use that cap space to bring something in? Or do you think it's quintessential that if you know that Freddie Anderson is going to be back where it's different than a player, because players can go on the ice, they can shoot, they can do all kinds of different things. You can do all the practice you want as a goaltender in practice, but, you know, game time situation for timing and stuff, it's, it's key for them to have those games before the playoffs. Do you think that they would have to want to keep him, I guess, off the LTIR, if that is the thing, you know, even if he's out towards the end of the season, just to have him there to be able to use him in the last couple of games to get him ready? Or do you think, hey, you know, toss him on the LTIR, use that extra cap space, bring in some goaltending insurance, bring in some, D, you know, basically show her up all the stuff we just talked about and use that cap space to the advantage and then bring him back for the playoffs. What what would your thoughts there? wouldn't say it's a bad idea it's actually a good idea to put him on LTIR and then you know if they do want to go get some goalie insurance you can use that money that uh that Anderson's being used on the LTIR for another goalie and obviously with the playoffs there's no salary cap in the playoffs so you don't have to worry about you know putting someone on taxi squad or waivers or trading or well, the deadline will be passed already but what I mean you don't have to worry about the money because there's no salary cap in the playoffs but um, putting him on LTIR isn't a bad idea. I just don't know why they haven't done it already. If they have a plan with Anderson, if they're going to keep him, trade him, like I don't know what's going on. But um, it, it will be interesting to see what Dubas does because the trade deadline is less than a week away. And every day we're hearing a new player linked to the Maple Leafs, and it's just a matter of time until something actually happens with them. But, um, yeah, all in all, like, I think it's a good idea to put him on LTIR and use that money along with the deadline cap space you already have to acquire, you know, the needs you want ahead of the playoffs. Well, the rumblings around, um, you know, trading, and we'll talk about that for a second, you know, is the fact that GMs are waiting for the prices to fall because obviously a lot of teams are cash-strapped this season. You want to get guys off the books, no matter if it's saving you for three weeks or the guy's got an extra year on his deal. You know, teams want to save that money. Um, So GMs are kind of playing that uh, game of poker, you know, 
waiting for the other team to fold their hand and then get the price that they want. Um, also, the other caveat, and I heard this and I forget where it was, but the thing is every day that you wait for another player, like for a player to come to your team, you're saving that money as well against their cap hit. So just use Taylor Hall for an existence or <laughs> existence instance. Um, is um, you, you take his salary, I think it's $70,000 a day. So if you do $70,000 a day and you do that by, you know, what, five days, you're saving $350,000 towards his contract. So that's $350,000 that you're not putting out. $350,000 you save on the cap, the overall cap hit towards that player. Um, so that could be enticing to a lot of teams too, to wait until almost the last minute to get their ducks in a row and make a trade just so that it can fit in the maximum amount under the dollar value that they have. Like a team like the Leafs, I think right now, without any moves barring, I think they have $2.5 million to make moves at the trade deadline. So you'd want to maximize those dollars to the absolute fullest. And the only way to do that is to wait pretty much until trade deadline day or the day before and you know have that money be down, I guess, to more of a palpable number. But... That is something I don't hear a lot of people talking about, and I think it's because we're so used to everything being, you know, the way it usually is. I'm wondering for you, do you think that's something that teams would be waiting for, A, for GMs to kind of wait for the prices to go down, where teams have to make a move or be stuck with the player so they have to pay that salary, and B, you know, are teams waiting to accrue that salary cap and for players' salary to drop so the acquired player is less amount? Yeah, um, I feel like a lot of GMs want to do that. Obviously, like you said, you know, money's tight with this uh, with this league because of the pandemic and everything. And Elliot Friedman said, I think last month or a couple weeks ago, that Buffalo's asking price was a first round. Well, at least it was starting at a first round pick. But he doesn't know if teams will want to pay that unless they want him right now. So obviously, if teams are like, you know what, we'll wait for your cap to go down. As the days go by, you're going to become cheaper in real dollars and we'll acquire you closer to the deadline and maybe you won't cost us the first round pick. So you save you save assets and you save money with acquiring him late in the, in the year. And I'm looking at Cap Friendly right now and obviously his cap hit, Taylor Halls, is $8 million and it says his accumulated daily cap hit is 5.7. So he's been paid already $5.7 million and um, his, da- his remaining daily cap hit is just over $2.2 million. So... Let's say he gets traded to, let's say Toronto, for instance. I'm not saying he is going to, but uh, if he does get traded to Toronto, it's 2.2 million as of today that he's owed until the end of the season. So, in real dollars, I'm pretty sure they can fit that under, you know, um, their money situation. And if Buffalo retains half of that as well, it'll, it'll be even better. So it's it's better if players get acquired uh, by teams closer to the deadline, like you said, money. Uh, situations and um, I feel like going back to that um, you know asset thing with teams not wanting to overpay earlier on in the in the season and they want to wait closer to the deadline um, I, I just don't think players like Taylor Hall deserves to be worth a first round pick I know he won the MVP a couple of years ago in New Jersey but I don't know let's play this year I know we've had a Buffalo team that's struggling uh, heavily, but I just don't know if you want to give up a first-round pick in in a season like this. You know, I, I know people are saying the draft isn't as strong as other drafts, but would you be willing to give up a first-round pick plus for a guy like Taylor Hall? I don't even know if he has over 20 points this season with the Buffalo Sabers, and especially someone who's making a lot of money too. But 
as I said, you know, as the days go by, he becomes cheaper and cheaper for teams to acquire. So it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be terrible to give a first round pick, especially if Buffalo retains half. But I feel like a lot of teams, especially the Maple Leafs, can maybe, you know, acquire Hall for maybe two second round picks and a B level prospect or something like that. Well, yeah, I think it was uh, Chris Johnson and Elliot Freeman, Jeff Merrick on 31 Thoughts were talking about what is Kevin Adams' legacy? What You know, for him, this is his first trade deadline, first year as a GM. He's a rookie GM. You know, what do you want on your resume going forward? Do you do you want to accept a deal that's like a third-round pick for Taylor Hall and be like no one is the guy that traded Taylor Hall for a third? Or do you want to be the guy that, you know, you know got a first-rounder or whatever and a B-lover prospect? I look at it like this. I look at players on Buffalo and the market may be a little skewed on them. But you know what Taylor Hall can do for your team? But if I'm a team like Toronto and I'm looking to shore up a couple spots, you know, you could one-stop shop right out of the Buffalo Sabres and grab Taylor Hall and say, hey, we'll take Brandon Montour, Linus Allmark, whatever. You can do a two-for-one kind of deal and figure out something there. And that would allow Buffalo to get that first-round pick they're looking for and acquire maybe a couple more assets as well. And then the Leafs can basically have what they need. And that top six-four that Kyle Dubas wants the goaltender that we all seem to think they need. And, I mean, if they did get Brandon Montour, cool. That's the bottom six guy that you're looking for, too. But that might be the only way that Buffalo gets the asking price for Taylor Hall they're looking for. If it's Taylor Hall plus somebody, and then you get the assets coming back the other way, being that first, maybe a B-level prospect, and, you know, a second or a third as well. You know, that's the only way I see it happening, just because of what's going on with Taylor Hall there. And, you know, I don't buy the notion, I don't think you do either, that Taylor Hall is cursed and, you know, Taylor Hall is a, you know, a bad player or, you know, cancer to a room or anything like that. I don't buy any of those things. And I think coming into a team like Toronto with the veteran leadership they have and then the guys that already basically run the show, I, I said this to uh, to Terry Koshan, you bring in a guy like, you know, Taylor Hall, he doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all to your offense. He doesn't have to be the number one guy, which for a guy like Taylor Hall, and I hearken it to to Phil Kessel and Willie Nylander now in Toronto, those are not guys that are number ones that you build around. Those are complementary pieces. Taylor Hall was thought to be a guy you built built around, but it looks like he's a more of a Phil Kessel ilk in my eyes, that you add him as a complementary guy to go with your superstars you have. He's a great player. Obviously, he's not too far removed from an MVP. But I don't think he's the guy you build around. I think he's the guy that you bring in to put you over the top. Yeah, I agree with you 110% there. And going back to you talking about how if Buffalo adds someone in the deal with Taylor Hall, then maybe they'll get their, their asking price on a first-round pick plus. And I've seen a lot of people talk about that, how let's say it's Taylor Hall and, and Allmark to Toronto or to anyone, and then Buffalo will get their first-round pick and Buffalo will get maybe a prospect or two, and then maybe a roster player as well. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you there. Like, if, if Buffalo really wants, you know, their asking price for Taylor Hall, it might, you know, cost them to give up someone else because I don't know if teams are willing to give, you know, a first-round pick plus for Taylor Hall who, you know, if he doesn't resign with your team, you're giving up a lot for a rental guy who will play, what, 15 to 20 games? Yeah. And a team like Toronto, in you know, as much as we'd love to have them, is not interested in re-signing Taylor Hall. You know, they're bringing this guy in as a mercenary for a cup run is what they're doing. You know, he's a hired gun, and that's what he would be, and that's the price they'd be willing to pay. 
And, you know, it's been mentioned from a few other people that, hey, teams are a little bit leery to offer up a big package for Taylor Hall because there doesn't seem to be any chance to get any negotiating window with him. Um, you know, and, you know, Buffalo could probably juice up what they get too if they were to allow that. Um, but maybe Kevin Adams is hoping on the fact that Taylor Hall will want to come back to what is Buffalo next year, whatever's there. Um, but I don't see that happening. I think Taylor will want to go somewhere else. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to, to watch, I guess, uh, with the deadline less than a week away, and no one's really made any moves now. So I feel like once the first domino falls, if it's Taylor Hall or someone else, then everyone's going to follow suit, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch in the next uh, five or six days for sure. Well, one team that kind of threw a wrench in everybody's happiness for the trade deadline was the Nashville Predators going on a winning streak, and I think it was, what, 8 out of 10 they won, you know, 16 points they pick up, and... You know, now they're comfortably in a playoff spot and obviously not going to be selling off the Ekholms or the Ellises. And, you know, it doesn't hurt them now to keep a Granlin and let them walk at the end of the year because you're going to be in the dance. So, you know, where they were going to pose to be, you know, kingmakers are no longer anymore. Yeah, it's uh, it was very interesting to watch that because I know there was a lot of talk with them being a potential seller to the deadline. And then obviously they go on this insane streak as of late. And like you said, eight wins in the last 10 games. They pick up 16 points. They're back in the playoff race. And they don't have to sell the guys that they were you know, rumored to be selling, like Matias Akoma, a Mikhail Granlin, and Eric Hall, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, it kind of it kind of hurts a lot of fans because I know some Leaf fans were very interested in, in Matias Ekholma, uh, Mikhail Granlin, and even Philip Forsberg. But I'm pretty sure Philip Forsberg is is injured right now but um yeah Nashville is one of those teams that you know a lot of people were were high on they're not going to come back in the playoff race they're going to sell at the deadline and then all of a sudden the, uh, the flip switches and they're in the playoffs right now yeah like I said it took a lot of um let's say juice I don't know what was going to happen because everybody was you know licking their chops because they wanted to see what the prices would be you know who the Leafs could add on um for you you look around you hear all the names what is one name that you've heard linked to the Leafs? And I'll put this out here. This is my caveat to everyone. If you hear a name linked to the Leafs, it's kind of like Lou Lamorello. Then it's not going to happen. Kyle Dubas always seems to do these deals that it's players that we weren't talking about, like Jake Muzzin, Jack Campbell, you know, Kyle Clifford, all these different names that come to Toronto. Who, who thought he was going to trade for Alex Galchenyuk? That came out of nowhere too. So, you know, all the deals that he's done that are, you know, name value players are ones that we weren't speaking of. So, I'll put an asterisk beside this one. I ask you, what is one name that you have heard that excites you about coming to Toronto? I know we talked about the Nashville guys, but outside of that, and Taylor Hall, of course, is there anybody else that you're like, you know what, that's really intriguing? Uh, um, well, let's go position by position, because I feel like that'll be much uh, more fun. Um, for defense, I'm going to start with Jamie Alexiak, because I know a lot of people, including myself, really are high on him if he was acquired by Toronto. And then in the 31 Thoughts podcast, uh, Elliot Friedman said, you know, if Toronto is interested in depth defensemen, you know, Alexia could be a potential fit for Toronto. So, you know, that, I'm going to have my eye on that. I don't know if, you know, I feel like Dubas is the type of guy to go out and acquire a guy like Alexiak. I'm pretty sure he's from the GTA anyway. So kind of a homecoming for him. Uh, for forwards, um, besides players like Taylor Hall and, and Philip Forsberg, Mikhail Granlin. I know Kyle Palmieri, he was linked with the Leafs earlier on in the season, and then someone said that 
they think uh, the Leafs are on his no trade uh, list. So that got shut down pretty quickly. And then recently, again, someone said that you know the Leafs are in on Kyle Palmieri. So um, I think the problem with Palmieri was uh, he wasn't excited about the 14-day quarantine. And now that it's down to seven days, I think that's the the reason why the Leafs are maybe back in that race. It's kind of like Eric Stahl, who said he didn't want to come to Canada because of the 14 days, and it dropped to seven. And Alavi, he's a Montreal Canadian. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes more sense. Like with the Taylor, with the Eric Stahl situation, he didn't want to come to Canada, like you said, because of the quarantine. But now it's seven days, and I feel like a lot of players now are maybe willing to come over to Canada uh, ahead of the trade deadline, but. I don't know if there's a specific forward that, you know, other than Taylor Hall and, and the guy who listed that, you know, um, I'd be very interested in acquiring. I mean, there's guys like Nick Foligno and Boone Jenner from Columbus that I feel like will, will fit in nicely with this team on the third line and, and make an impact. But I just don't know if Columbus, you know, wants to part ways with their captain, Nick Foligno, and for Boone Jenner, I just don't know what they're going to do with Boone Jenner. But, uh, other than those guys, what about uh, really... Phil Kessel? Phil Kessel back to Toronto. <laughs> We're already paying him. <laughs> I mean, what's his uh, what's his cap hit right now? You know what? I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Uh, I don't have a pulled right up right now. He's making eight mil. For how many yeah, more years? Is, he, is, is it the last year of the deal? Next year. Next year. Oh, yeah, you wouldn't want to keep Phil Kessel for another year. He's making $8 million right now, and the Leafs are retaining $1.2, so Arizona has 6.8. But, you know, if he comes back to Toronto, that's that's the full $8 mil, So Yeah, full $8 mil. If you get Arizona to retain half, and then <laughs> still up around 6 even at that point. You know what? If, if Arizona you know, falls out of the playoff race, I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, move a guy like Castle and move a guy, you know, up front or on the back and like a, like a Chalmerson or a Goligoski because – Palmerson, you know, needs... Adam Wilde from the Steve Dangle podcast raves about him and his shot suppression, and that might be a bottom pair penalty kill guy that would be perfect. I agree. I wrote about um, three defensemen other than Matias Ekholm that if the Leafs were looking for a defenseman that they can go out and acquire, and I had uh, Chalmerson, Alexiak, and John Merrill, and all three guys are, you know, you can't go wrong with all three guys. They play, they play big minutes. They play at least 17 minutes a night. Um, they're good defensemen. They, they don't give you a lot of offense. But at the same time, if you're Toronto, you don't you don't need offense from your defensemen. You have Morgan Riley. You have guys like Jake Muzzin and, and Justin Hall who have at least 15 points on the season. So if you add a guy like you know, Chalmerson or Alexiak or Merrill, you, know, you solidify that defense even more. And if someone goes down with injury, you're not scrambling to, you know, find someone that can replace them other than, you know, Sandine, Marins, and Lilligren. You have another NHL-caliber defenseman. Yeah. Uh, I like all three of those names, so let's just put one of each in a cart and push it down the aisle because that's that'd be perfect. Uh, we, we've learned, right, that we need defense. You look at last year when Jake Muzzin got hurt, how pooched were we? You know, it was done. You know, when Morgan Riley was hurt, Jake Muzzin was holding the least defenseman or holding the Leafs defense together with a linchpin. It was just him. You know, and then when that pin broke with him getting hurt, it was all over because Morgan Riley wasn't 100% during that bubble. I don't care what anybody says. And that was the end of it. And we've seen it. And we just talked about it not even 10 minutes ago. 
about the fact that, you know, you look at one of those names dropping and it's over. You know, to me it is anyways, because the way they all play off each other, Riley and Brody, you know, Brody breaks up all the two-on-ones that when Morgan goes down and, you know, tries to do his offensive bit, he's great at breaking those up. You look at Hall and Muzzin, they're the minute-munching defensemen we've always wanted that shut down other teams' top players. And the Bogosian and Dermot, Bogosian can be a, a pain in your arse, and Dermot is known to get under people's skin. So, I mean, that bottom pair defense is what you want. But if you can add another two guys, just imagine adding Alexiak and just say John Merrill to the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Why not? Uh, I got a little update here from Kristen Shelton on Twitter. Um, I guess practice just wrapped up, and um, she asked uh, Sheldon Keith anything new on Frederick Anderson, and he said there's no update. He had another follow-up, but uh, he hasn't gotten any uh, update yet of that follow-up and she followed up with any concern that he's done for the season and he said there's no concern that he's done for the season so I guess you know there's a plan for him to come back at some point this season you just need to know you know when that point is well see and again it goes back to what we're talking about I mean if if you're thinking you're gonna ride Freddie as your guy for the playoffs then you don't want to put him on LTIR because you don't want to dip into that cap space and then be you know, up against it when he needs to come back and get games in to be ready for the playoffs. So, obviously, I mean, there's bigger minds at work than ours for, for hockey with Brandon Pridham and, you know, Kyle Dubas. I mean, Pridham is the capologist. He knows the ins and outs better than anyone. So, there's a reason why he hasn't gone on on, on LTIR. Um, and may, it may be right in front of our faces, and maybe they'll reveal it down the line, or maybe they won't. Maybe this is one of the, the Leafs' new moves. It's kind of weird. But, um Again, it goes back to, two. I guess, maybe you want him around the rink. Maybe you want him around the guys. Obviously, he's probably rehabbing or riding the bike or whatever he's doing. But it was the same thing with Joe Thornton, right? They wanted him around the room, and they wanted him to be there to, to pump up the guys and be that, that locker room presence, right? And I guess you want all these guys together, and especially during COVID times. It can get probably pretty lonely if you're all by yourself and you're not allowed to go anywhere if you know the province you're in is locked down. Yeah, it's it's never a bad idea to keep around the locker room, especially um, in a season like this. You know, you kind of need everyone to be together, gel together in the locker room. And um, I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens down the stretch with Anderson and the, and the whole team as the trade deadline is, is fast approaching. Well, let's talk quickly about the uh, the rest of the Canadian division here, obviously. We know the Ottawa Senators. Um, they are where a lot of people pick them to be. Uh, I do still say that they are a lot more feisty than a lot of people thought they might be, and you know they surprised some people with some of the games they were able to win and some of the things they've been able to do. Um, but the Ottawa Senators, do you see them jet sending a couple of contracts, maybe a couple of players, you know, to other teams that are in the playoff hunt, or do you see Ottawa trying to keep things, I don't know, kind of quiet towards the deadline, where they've been a noisy team with all the off ice stuff the past few years. Um, I see Ottawa as a team to, you know, sell some of their players that uh, that only have a year remaining on their deal, or even um, you know a couple of years on their deal. I, I've heard a lot of people say um, Ryan Dezingle could be a trade target for a lot of teams. Uh, defenseman Braden Coburn as well. He's only making one point seven million this year, one year left on his deal. Um, you know, there's a guy like uh, Anisimov. He's he's thirty two years old. He's making four and a half mil. I, I don't know. It's kind of pricey for a player like him. I don't know if teams are willing to, you know, take on that contract. But 
yeah, I feel like Ottawa does have a couple players that um, that could be trade targets. They can get some assets back. Ottawa does have a you know a handful of picks in the next couple drafts uh, drafts anyway. So I feel like you know trading guys that are expiring contracts, you know, it won't be a bad idea to get some assets for those guys that you probably won't re-sign next off season and you you tend or you you plan on bringing your younger guys next season. So yeah, I feel like Ottawa's a team that that should sell. You know, it, obviously if they don't find the right uh, trade for them, don't pull the trigger. But at the end of the day, if a guy like Braden Colburn gets you a fifth, you know, it's, it's, it's a fifth round pick and it's Braden Colburn. Like, just just grab the draft pick and run. Who, who cares at this point? No, it's 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 true. It's true. I, you know, I look at a team. Um, you know, we'll move on from the Senators. So we we know where they are. A team that had some expectations this year was the Vancouver Canucks, and. You know, my heart goes out to each and every player right now that's dealing with the COVID situation. Obviously, the variant running through the team. Um, you think about their families, and the guy that I really think about who opted out of the bubble was Travis Hamonic, and you know his young daughter with the, you know, respiratory condition. Um, a person myself uh, that has asthma. You know, I can, I can understand the the, the fear of COVID, and especially being around those kind of things. Obviously, his daughter is is more severe than what I have, but. You know, you can put yourself in those shoes and, and understand the fear that goes through him because now, you know, if he's sick, he gets her sick. It's it's absolutely paralyzing what that fear would be. But you think about all those players and you, you get a little worried and, you know, you wonder, you know, should they even come back this season? Should they just take the time to heal and, you know, allow their, their bodies and their lungs and their fa- their friends and the family and everybody to get back to, to whole before you think about hockey and that is a thought that I don't know if the NHL is thinking about. I heard that they still want to get the Vancouver Canucks into 56 games, which, I mean, is crazy to think. Um, with some of these players obviously having IV drips hooked up at their houses and stuff. Um, just absolutely heart goes out to each and every one of those players. Um, you look at some of the players that may have been able to be moved. I don't think you can move anyone now from that squad. Um trade deadline's coming a lot of these guys are out with covid i don't think you can move a player trade wise i know you can't with certain injuries and things like that trade players but i I don't know it's it's a scary situation so for me i look at vancouver and i say i'd rather see them and i know this kind of ruins it for the other six teams in the canadian division but at that point you really can't think about that i think you think about the fact of getting everyone whole healthy and and ready for the next season and, you know, to be ready to go. I think that's what you need to think about more than anything. And I wonder where you stand on that. Yeah, I, I don't know if the Canucks are even, you know, if it's possible for them to play the full eight, uh, 56-game season because they've they've played 37 of them already. And I'm looking at the standings right now. And, you know, I, I feel like every it's safe to say everyone – you know, didn't have Vancouver making the playoffs after, you know, let's say game 20, game 25, which is how they performed. But, um, you know, if they can come back and, you know, play not all 56 games, like the remaining games of their schedule, and they can play maybe, you know, 10 just to end the season, I say do it, you know, get back on your feet and play the game you love. But at the end of the day, if the NHL thinks that they can play 56 games, I just don't know if that's possible because it's been reported that another player tested positive and, and, you know, just don't know how long they're going to be sidelined with COVID for. You know, it could be another two weeks. It could be three weeks if they're not recovering the way that they hoped. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day, if, if they can't resume this season, then I'd just say, you know, call it quits this season. You know, get better. You know, 
try and beat COVID and, and come back stronger next season. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I err on the side of the ladder. I mean, you just think about it from just a human perspective. You take the hockey element out of it. You want everybody to be healthy, and these guys are competitors. So you tell them that they're, they have negative tests and they want to get right back on the ice, and you don't know. We still don't know to this day what COVID does to everyone long term. Right, and these guys have a different variant now as well. So, further than that, we don't even know what this level of it does to anyone, you know. And now these guys are going to want to get back and go full tilt, and you know, it attacks your your entire body. You know, who knows if you're going to do more irreparable harm to yourself getting back on the ice and going full tilt and all those things. I'm not a doctor and never claim to be. Don't play one on TV. Um, but you just think about all the things you hear and all the things you read and. It's it's scary. I mean, some people bounce back pretty quick. Um, you look at, um, I think it was Rasmus Ristolainen in Buffalo and how much that affected him, you know, and, and how scary it was. You look at uh, recent draft pick uh, Cole Perfetti, you know, how much it's uh, messing with him. No, not Cole Perfetti. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, walk that back. Marco Rossi, um, you know, and oh, yeah. how much that's uh, affecting him still, right? So different people, different variants, different everything. It's a different... For every single person. So, I don't know. I just look at it like, hey, maybe taking a step back isn't the worst thing in the whole wide world. Um, doesn't mess with the standings. Doesn't mess with all these different things. And like we just said, you know, we don't have Vancouver making the playoffs. Does that make them an easier team to play? Players play for pride. Um, all those different things, you know. I, I don't know. I just err on the side as I'd rather everybody be whole and safe and not rush yourself back and do more harm to yourself and shorten your career when, you know, if you took the time, you maybe be 100% period but that's just my thought on it yeah obviously you know um, if, if you know treat this first and if if you guys if they can recover from this and you know there's a good chunk of them that do recover from this uh, in you know in the next week or two and there is still you know available time to finish the season at least play you know let's not my saying um, you know I, I would say they have 19 games remaining, I believe. I think it is. Yeah. I don't think they're going to. Yeah, I don't think they're going to play all 19 games. I just feel like it's impossible to do so in, in a condensed schedule already, and they've missed at least a week and a half right now. I just I feel like playing 19 games, and and I don't know how many weeks are left in the in the season. I because I believe you it know let's five. say if there's 19 games, five weeks. Yeah, 19 games, and let's say three weeks if they take two weeks off. Like that's that's going to be hard. That's going to be hard for any team. That's going to be hard for a team that's coming back from COVID. So, I mean, it won't be the end of the world if they cancel their season now. I feel like the players themselves probably do want to get back on the ice, but obviously if they can't, and that's, you know, health is the first priority here. But, um, you know, if they can get back on the ice and play a handful of games rather than the 19 games remaining, I feel like it's, it's good for them to get back on the ice. But, like you said, and like I said, you know, safety is the first priority or first priority here, and they have to get healthy. No, they definitely do. Well, we move on from the Vancouver Canucks and wish everyone well, and hopefully they'll be uh, back on the ice sooner than later. But again, make sure you get your health up prior first before you do any of that kind of stuff. But then the Calgary Flames, a, a team that I think there's major, major reconstruction coming to the Calgary Flames in the off season. Um, the, you know, expectations were supposed to be high. I had them winning the Atlantic division or Canadian division this year. <clears throat> and they haven't, uh, haven't even come close to it. I thought with adding Tanov and Markstrom, you know, finally getting a goaltender to carry the bulk of the load and, 
you know, solidify those positions, they would have been a lot better of a team. But it's not, and I think the time is finally starting to come where you're going to see guys like uh, Johnny Goudreau and Sean Monahan maybe showing the door and trade it off for uh, for parts and pieces to uh, bring this team to a different different way. What do you think? Yeah, like I'm, I'm with you. I didn't, I didn't have Calgary winning the division, but I did have them, you know, finishing third place. And obviously, looking at it right now, you know, those are both bad, you know, predictions from our ends. But Calgary, like, I don't know what's with Calgary. Like, I'm pretty sure they, they did win the the Western Conference two years ago or three years ago, and they get bounced out in the playoffs last year. They, they're not playing up to par this year. They have 35 points in 40 in 40 games. You know, after signing Jacob Markstrom in free agency, I said, this Calgary team, like, they have good pieces. They have Gaudreau, Monaghan, uh, Kachuk, Backlund. Like, they have some good offensive weapons up front. You add a guy like Tanev on the back end. You add a guy like Markstrom to solidify that number one goalie, and just nothing has gone as planned. Like, everything just crumbled to the ground, and it's not looking good in Calgary, and especially after firing Jeff Ward and now bringing in Sutter. You know, they started off, I think, 3-0 and under Sutter, and it just it went downhill after that, and I'm pretty sure um, Calgary's GM. This is his fifth head coach since he's been with the team. Uh, so I don't know if if the GM is the next one out, if players are the next one out, but something has to change in Calgary, and I believe it's going to happen this offseason. Well, the old adage is that the coach goes first, and the GM always gives his coach a, a trade. So, you know, you see what happens beyond there. I look at the Calgary fans, like I said, though, and I do think this is a team that needs to have some major surgery come through and, you know, change the identity. And, you know, it was kind of weird, you know, a few weeks ago hearing the team is kind of turning its back towards to Chuck a little bit. And we had Ryan Leslie on talking to him, you know, and he said that's the vibe that was given off. And he felt like the team didn't have his back. And, you know, that's not something you want. You want that fire. You want that passion. You want a guy that will run through a wall for each and every one of his teammates, and you want them to back him up the same way. I mean, I don't know. It's a little weird to see those things happen, but I think there's major changes on the horizon for the Calgary Flames, and that leads us into the Montreal Canadiens. And, you know, it seems like they take a step forward positively, and the negativity or something negative has to happen. Um, now losing Brendan Gallagher with the, uh, the thumb injury, and then tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs, no Carey Price. It's Jake Allen between the pipes. Carey Price didn't travel with the team. So you get Eric Stahl, which everybody's happy, excited about. Everything happens on Monday, scores the OT winner, breath of fresh air, and then you lose Gallagher, and who knows what's going on with Carey Price. I mean, I look at the Montreal Canadiens, and I said to everyone, you know, what is their core at the beginning of the year, you know, and does it stack up to teams like Toronto's or Winnipeg's? You know, or even at the time when we didn't know what Calgary was going to be, Calgary's. You know, yes, they have a Price, yes, they have a Weber, but beyond that, what is a proven piece that is part of their core? You can say Galley, Brendan Gallagher. I guess Galley's ours now, okay, guys, because Galchenyuk's here and we call him Galley. So, but you look at Brendan Gallagher, but then what? What is next? Drouin. You know, the fan base is so hot and cold on him in Montreal. Then you keep moving down the list to know. You know, these are not like superstar names. Suzuki and Kakanyemi, they had a great bubble, but, you know, they got to prove that over an 82-game season or a 56-game season this year and then in the playoffs again. But then you look at Carey Price and, you know, like Jeff O'Neill said about the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're only going to go as far as Freddie Anderson will take you, and that was when he first signed here. 
Well, the Montreal Canadiens, in theory, will only go as far as Carey Price. But what was their core? Now, they added Anderson into Foley. You know, it's great to have those players. But again, you know, are you, you look at teams on paper, and this is what Brian Burke always did. You look at teams like Toronto and you line them up against Washington and Boston and and uh, Tampa Bay and things like that, and do they line up? And you look at Montreal, and I, I say no. Is it great that they're in fourth? Yes. Is it a huge... If they were the standings were the same as they always are with all the same divisions, is Montreal in a playoff spot today? I don't think so in, in the old way. I don't think so. What say you there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you too. Um, I initially had you know Montreal finishing fourth place in this division, and... They currently are in fourth place, so hopefully that is the same. But um, they did come out of the gates hot in the beginning of the season. And I was thinking, you know, this Montreal team, you know, they could prove me wrong. They could prove a lot of people wrong. And then they hit a wall. Their shooting percentage went down. They just weren't playing the same. Uh, Claude Julien got fired. Their goaltending wasn't good. Well, at least um, Carey Price wasn't playing good. Um, But like you said about Montreal not having those star players like an Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, they do have good pieces. Like they don't have those star players, but they have good pieces, like a, a Gallagher and Anderson and Sitar. So I don't know why this Montreal team is performing how they are performing right now. But you know, they were the last team to be qualified in the playing round last year. I, I believe they finished was it twenty fourth last year or twenty yep. second? How many teams? So they were twenty fourth. They're the last team in. Yeah, and finishing twenty fourth last year. And I know they beat Pittsburgh, but there was one player responsible for that, and it was Carey Price. And without Carey, like you said, you can only go as far as your goalie takes you. And Montreal, um, for Montreal, it was Carey Price. And Carey Price shut the door in Pittsburgh, allowed them to beat them. They played a good series against the Philadelphia Flyers in the next round. Obviously, they didn't uh, they didn't beat them, but yeah, like this this Montreal team. Um, when I look down their lineup. There isn't one player that stands out to me as, um, you know, a difference maker, like a, like an Austin Matthews or someone like that. And no disrespect to Montreal. Like I said, they do have good pieces on their team. They have a Gallagher, a Foley. The list goes on and on. But to me, they, they just don't have a game breaker or a game changer. They don't have exactly. that guy unless it's Carey Price between the pipes, but he's so hot and cold you can't really call him that anymore. And we all know, look at Roberto Olongo playing for the Vancouver Canucks, played lights out. But Vancouver couldn't score a goal, and you lose Stanley Cup for one one goal. You know, one exactly. pass Luongo was the joke forever. You know, so if you don't have the offensive weapons to be a game changer for you, which they have players that have the ability, but that aren't proven. Like I said, Kakanyemi, Suzuki, uh, Drew Ann's hot and cold. Um, Josh Anderson, yeah, great that he went on a tear, but where's he been lately for me? And same thing with Toffoli. He's another guy where I say he's a complimentary piece. He's not the piece. You know, he's not the guy. You know, so they, I don't think they have that game-changer, game-breaker guy on their squad. And without a Brendan Gallagher to be the, you know, the stick that stirs the drink, you know, there's some problems going there. Yeah, I agree with you there. But then you, you slide on over and you look at uh, a team like the Winnipeg Jets. I look at Winnipeg and Edmonton, I say they're interchangeable for their spots. It's two and three. I think that's where they're going to be. Um, it'll be a battle. I think Toronto's going to pull themselves away from the pack, and that's going to be it. Um, what are your thoughts, though? On the For me, on the Edmonton Oilers, I didn't have them in the top four. I know you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and you can't keep them out, but I look at the goaltending, and I thought that was going to be their undoing this season, and I was proven wrong. Um, you know, It hasn't been lights out, but it's been enough of an average thing to keep them going. But 
I don't see them being able to go far in the playoffs with the goaltending they have. And that's just my opinion. But I think with the different change in hockey in the playoffs where the whistles go away, I think it's uh, it's going to be hard for McDavid and Dreisaitl to go deep with a goaltending tandem of uh, Miko Ko- his Koskinen and uh, Smith. Yeah. Um, I had, surprisingly, I had Edmonton finishing second in this division, mainly uh, for the reason that they were the best Canadian team last year. So I said... You know, you have McDavid, you have Drysdale on your team. You can't go wrong. Two of the best, you know, top five, top whatever you want to say uh, in the league. I know some people don't think Drysdale is a top five player, but you have two dangerous offensive weapons on your team. You're the best Canadian team last year, and you know when that power play gets hot, that power play gets hot because they led the league last year in power play percentage. So I thought Edmonton is a for sure top three lock for me. I'll slide them in the top. I'll slide them in the second place. And for Winnipeg, I had Winnipeg surprisingly in sixth place to finish in this division, mainly because I just didn't know if Connor Hellebuck was going to, you know, replicate last season's performance. And I thought, you know, if Hellebuck can't, you know, recreate what he did last year, I don't have this Winnipeg team doing a lot of damage. If he can, you know, come close to it or replicate it, you know, to a T, they will do some damage because everyone knows their top six is arguably the tops, the best top six in the league alongside Toronto and look at that defense and a lot of question marks on that defense because as everyone knows last season they lost Truba they lost Myers they lost Sherratt they lost Bufflin and I think that's it or they lost someone else and you know those are four top four defensemen on the Winnipeg Jets that you lost so you know the defense was a big question mark for me this year but clearly they proved me wrong with their with how they can play defensively and you know, they, they have been playing well defensively, and, you know, it's it's gone a long way with their success. Their their offense is, you know, top there in the league with Toronto as well. Um, but at the end of the season, like you said, Winnipeg-Edmonton, they will probably be the 2-3 seed. I don't see them falling out of the playoffs. I don't see them falling to fourth unless Montreal goes in an absolute heater to end the season. But Montreal do uh, does have four games in hand, I believe, on every uh, Toronto, Winnipeg, and Edmonton, the top three. So, you know, if, if Montreal does go on a heater to end the season, they could pass Edmonton or, or Winnipeg, but uh, I, I feel like it's safe to say those two teams will uh, will stay in the second and third seed. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I think those two are interchangeable. They'll battle each other. Um, I see Montreal staying where they are, which means we may get a Toronto-Montreal matchup finally in the playoffs. Hooray for everyone because that's what we want. Um, I'm looking forward to the trade deadline. I'm looking forward to getting towards the playoffs. And I'm looking forward to having you back on once we know what the Leafs roster is actually going to look like going down the stretch run. And uh, just talk about what the matchups might be for the playoffs, sir. All right. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right. You know what it is. This is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk. <laughs> 